Happy New Year, um, all of our listeners and my lovely Lorna. And welcome to start the week um, with me, Lottie, and over there, Lorna, where we chat um, all things culture, change, communications, coaching and leadership. Hey, Lorna Leeson, how are you doing? Happy, happy New Year. Welcome to 2024, as somebody said to us on Friday, which I thought was a rather lovely kind of personal concierge into the into the year from um from Ted Hewitt actually from the PX hub a little shout out to him oh we need to send him our podcast we we do otherwise he'll never hear the shout outs and that's how this these things work Um, exactly happy new year what are we talking about today Lottie well actually you know we're talking about the thing that has currently gripping the whole of the UK right now that I know you and I sat um spellbound gobsmacked all the other um, words you might want to associate with um, the four-part drama on ITV, Mr. Bates versus the post office, and oh my, have we got some stuff to say about this. Oh my goodness, I cried and I cried and I raged and I cried <laughs> some more, um, and part of me got very excited and emotional about the quality of um, the, the te- television drama and the talent of the people who made it, and then part of me, just my brain has been whirring about how did an organisation get to that point? What the bollocks has happened there is what I was thinking. Yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, so so many lessons, so many things we can talk about. I mean, we're actually going to kind of, we're going to spread this over three episodes, I think, aren't we? Because having discussed it between us, there is so much to unpack in the whole of the scandal, which actually, you know, it's been what, 20 years it's been going on for. Yeah, it's 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 20 years or over 20 years. And the interesting thing, and we'll touch on this um, next week a little a little bit more, is that this is a story that's been in the open domain for 20 years. It's it's not like this is just broken, but for some reason. And I'm, I think the reason actually is that the excellence of the storytelling for by ITV dramas, drama department, this has really captured um, the uh, the heart and the imagination of 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 a lot of people and so it is a um yeah a, a hideous hideous set of events that actually is not resolved is it it's still going on no and so, do you know and do you know what's really funny and I know I mentioned this to you before um in 2018 I was at a conference and I can't remember whether I was presenting at the conference or I was just a delegate uh but Paula Venels was one of the speakers at the conference and she stood up in 2018 espousing the brilliance of the post office, its culture, how she listened to employees, um, how she dealt with um, events with kind of, you know, authenticity and humility. And at the time, I can remember sitting there thinking, wow, what a woman, what an institution, what a culture. Um, mm. And, oh, uh, you know, it's funny because actually, you know, I've met I've actually met her. I've actually met her. And to think that she was able to construct this image of herself this perception of the post office um that has been so whole scale dismantled um since the since the show aired is is actually quite it's yeah it's really it's really moved me yeah yeah and i mean this is this is where we're going to go on in in this episode we're going to look at 
um, the role of the of the leader at the top of the organisation. Sorry, did you hear my klaxon again? I need to stop this. We need I need a more professional way to time this rather than my bloody iPhone. And you know, I didn't hear your klaxon the last time either because I was too busy doing a fake klaxon. So I think, um, well, let's leave the klaxons are fine. It's fine. Um, what were we talking about before you set a klaxon off? Well, I'm sorry about that. Know? Yeah, no, no, no. What, what we want to talk about in this um, episode predominantly is to kind of look at those some of those characteristics of old leadership um, and right. just kind of discuss how that style of leadership actually led to, we think, in our opinion, um, a lot of the of the of the, of the disaster that that unfolded. Yeah, and because. And because Lottie, you know that I'm a massive Swifty, I will always find a way to um, shoehorn some Taylor Well, so Swift. am I now, aren't I? Tay-Tay, Tay-Tay forever. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the fandom, darling. Thanks, um, darling. So the the question I think that chief execs probably need to ask themselves, and certainly that Paula Venels, I don't know whether she's asked herself this, I'm not in her head, but am I the problem? Is it me, to paraphrase Tay-Tay? Yeah, and I wonder, and I wonder whether a lot of chief executives are actually reflecting, having watched this on their own leadership style. It's a wake up call. I hope they are. I mean, I do hope there is a healthy level of concern, um, maybe even fear, amongst many chief executives about how could I avoid that kind of trap. Yeah, because the alternative is that they're looking at Paula Venels. Some, lots of them will know her. Um, she's very well established in in the business community and lots of them will know her and be thinking well I like Paula and she seems a lot like me very sensible very sound this is awful that she's that she's landed in this situation so it's I think it's useful for us to just examine today well might you be the problem might it be you and what's really interesting in that song because I am a Taylor Swift lyric nerd she talks about covert narcissism disguised as altruism and I think that kind of sums up the self-image that Paula Venels has of herself. She's also a priest. And I think part of the problem with um, her self-image as, as an individual that then, of course, becomes her self-image as a chief exec is that she's got this very rigid self-view that she's a good person. She's there to do good. She's there to lead her flock to keep them safe, be that the flock of the post office or her, her congregation. And that very rigid narrative about who she is, which is a it's a form of lack of self-awareness, really. It's that kind of real rigidity around your your personal um, around your persona that then becomes a really rigid narrative about what therefore she's doing, because everything she does is then viewed through the lens of her own self view. Yeah, there was a very, very interesting um, quote in the show where she says, um, I need to protect the reputation of the post office. And you know what? She needed to protect the reputation of the post office, but she also needed to protect the reputation of the self-constructed narrative that she'd created about herself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, when you are chief exec, the reputation of your organisation and the reputation of yourself can be pretty enmeshed. Right. So it can feel very, very personal for the organisation to, to separate self from organisation. Totally, because mm. you're the figurehead. So I can completely understand why that becomes, therefore, a very personal thing for her. However, that I, that idea that she needed to, <coughs> excuse me, protect the reputation of the post office 
meant that everything that everybody did under her direction was um, was through the lens of that is our primary objective. You look at the actions of the, the legal team, for example, you look at the way that people who dissented, raised questions, raised challenges, shut raised, down. They were shut, not just shut down, but in some instances bullied, right? I mean, some instances they were destroyed, um, livelihoods destroyed. Yeah, and, and there's a real, you know, and if you think back to Lucy Letby, I think yeah. there was some quote from one of the um, senior leadership team in that trust where they talked about reputational damage and the need to, rep to, to protect the reputation. Yeah, and of course the dichotomy here, right, the double bind of this is that you cannot protect your reputation by doubling down on protecting your reputation. Because what happens is you get something like the Lucy Letby NHS scandal or like the post office scandal and your reputation is then below the gutter, not even in the gutter. It's so dragged through the gutter. For 20 odd years, this has been bumbling along and they've been desperately trying to protect their reputation and you cannot do it. Um, it's almost like you can't construct these very, you know, kind of glossy images of celebrity anymore. You just can't do these things because the truth will act. Well, again, it, again, I'm kind of parallels with, with what happened with Brewdog as well. Yes. Yeah. They'd constructed absolutely. such a narrative about the way they behaved, about their culture, about their leadership. Yeah. And then someone whistle blew mm -hmm. and then the whole thing deconstructed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, reputation of what reputation at any cost, actually. And and we know now that actually that's not the way for modern leaders to lead. No. Or and prioritize maybe, or may, maybe that maybe actually it's still important, but maybe not to prioritize at all costs. I think it's an understanding that reputation management, if you want to call it that, which feels like a very 1980s way to talk about things these days, but reputation management actually isn't about um you know, going all out to protect this kind of glossed, very highly curated, idealistic image of yourself as a leader or an organisation, because that just is not genuine or authentic. It cannot be. We're fallible. Organisations are fallible. Organisations are made up of humans who do human things all the time. The world around them is changing. So it is much healthier to recognise that mistakes will happen when they happen. This is how we deal with them in line with our values, personal and organisational. And this is how we address failure in, you know, this is what we do rather than we're not going to fail because this is how great we are. Yeah. So yeah. I think that lack of institutional and personal self-awareness and this real rigid self-image institutional brand. was one of the first number things. one. And then I think what kind of really closely aligned to that is the mm. whole idea that with her old kind of command and control leadership style, there was no one to challenge her you know this whole idea of this leadership dominant structure and corporate hierarchies that yeah. Matthew Syed in Rebel Ideas explores at length um, and he talks about the fact that you know when when the, in, in the old in the old setup of dominance hierarchies where no one challenges the authority of the leader disasters happen and, you know, and he cites a medical disaster aviation disaster um, and organizational disaster as well yeah. um you know he talks about kind of it in the dominance hierarchy in aviation he says co-pilots would rather die than contradict a captain and i think the same thing has happened here no one yeah. challenged the authority of, of paula venels no one in her corporate team felt psychologically safe enough 
to contradict her, to challenge her, to say yeah. things are happening. We've got to really listen here. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree. I think um, a complete lack of psychological safety because the the leader is is everything. The leader is all. Um, is is a huge a huge contributor to, to this issue. And I think if you look at just some of the instances in the dramatization of of, of, of this um this tragedy, you know, the the union leader who believes that he was penalized and actually bullied and lost his livelihood because he raised questions about what was going on. Um other of the sub postmasters who who challenged and and raised questions about what, what was going on were were seen to have been penalized. In fact, that kind of underlying um kind of sense of so many of them played guilty because, well, it must have been me. It can't have been the leadership. I must have done something wrong, mm. right? That lack of um ability to think I can even challenge or that there might be something wrong with. Yeah, with there was a st study done by the Rotterdam School of Management. And what they said is a surprising thing in their findings is that high status project leaders fail more often. This happens not despite the unconditional support they get, but because of it. So fascinating. Yeah, totally. I, I think that's you know, and that's the. So there's the, there's a number of different things at play. Matthew Saeed talks about this kind of evolutionary necessity or kind of in our evolutionary DNA as, you know, evolving from apes. If you look at sort of groups of apes today, um, I've got a friend who actually does this for a living. She's fascinating. But you look at groups of apes today and they will all defer to the alpha leader mm -hmm. in their pack. And if the alpha leader takes against you, you are cast out. And if you're cast out, in the wild you die so that's how ingrained it is in us right to look to the yep. alpha leader look for acceptance for the alpha leader and it's got to be a brave person who challenges that alpha leader right because if you're cast out you die so i think there's that i think there's that coupled with a very patriarchal paternalistic culture in lots of organizations that have been around for a very long time and you can say that about the post office inherently institutional public service yeah government controlled as it was yeah. and actually it's really we were talking about this earlier and the really interesting point about this institutional cultural legacy this command and control the group think we hire people like us to do jobs like us because we like people who look like us and think like us and yeah. I think I mean my view and I know you'll have a view on it but my view is that they just simply were not equipped to deal with the empathy and compassion required and with the employee voice listening skills they just they literally didn't they, they were not equipped with the skills no. to deal with a crisis of this magnitude you know coupled with the fact that they had their strong strategic narrative that they were sticking to coupled with the fact that they had this hierarchical command and control the cultural legacy absolutely was a barrier to them even knowing. They, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm convinced that they just didn't, even, even even if they wanted to, which I'm not sure they did want to, they literally didn't have the skills in order to be able to deal with it. So I think you and I talk about culture sometimes, and it's that old quote about culture is that sometimes you think it's like a fish in water, right? You think that's just, you don't realise that the water is is a certain colour or a certain consistency or even toxic because you're swimming around in it. It's just the water we swim in and they won't have noticed that. So it won't even have been part of their cultural consciousness. No, absolutely like. not. And compassion and listening and fallibility and vulnerability were things that we could, could even bring to the table. Yeah. And then because it's not even part of their cultural 
kind of consciousness then they're not hiring leaders that operate in that way that is that know how to operate in that way or are practiced in operating in that yeah. way and that's not to say these aren't people who can't go home and love their kids and grandkids right it's just that you put that you put that armor on you put you put your corporate armor on when you step into the workplace threshold and you are that separate corporate person and this is how you behave yeah yeah and so I think there's a a, a, that kind of idea of the the institutional cultural legacy selecting leaders like Paula Venels that then uphold the institutional cultural legacy reputation at all cost yeah Reputation at all costs, that legacy has not got any of the things that you needed to solve this crisis, like compassion and empathy in it. And I think other organisations can fall into these traps just as easily. So it's it's very easy to look at this whole tragedy and go, oh, poof, look at that over there, isn't that Look horrific? at them, oh, look at them, them. poor them. Mm. But we do these things all the time in other organisations. So how many businesses today are creating chief officers, chief happiness officers, chief well-being officers? What, as, chief, as, their, as their silver bullets to solve well-being, bullets, to because, solve, solve right. in inverted commas. A high status person will solve all, all problems, right? Put Let's just put a high status guru in there and they'll fix it all for us. You're perpetuating that belief that the high status leader is the person has, who has all, has all the answers. Whereas we know, don't we, that actually solving businesses problems like the ones we have today, such as innovation, agility, creativity, comes from harnessing the voice and the energy and the creativity of your whole organisation. So your high status chief biscuit officer or whatever it might be, <laughs> it's just there'll be one next week, I promise you. Can I be I it, Lorna? Can I, oh can I be it? I'm still making my way through the Marks and Spencer's triple chocolate biscuit collection and I need it to stop. I could be chief biscuit officer. Well, there you go. You can have that. Please I'll, I'll, be chief, I'll be chief 2024 goes to the gym first thing in the morning. Cliche officer, shall I? Yes, you can be chief. January cliche officer. Yeah. Anyway. So how, how can we avoid this? I know we haven't got um we haven't got that long left today. And so let's just kind of let's just kind of give our give our CEO and, and leader listeners um just a few pointers for how they might kind of want to avoid a post office um culture catastrophe. Well, it's really easy to say that this was kind of, you know, um evil or just something that happened over there, but this is a trap that anyone can fall into. So the first thing I would say is that we need feedback. Make sure that you're asking for and listening really hard to feedback from people. And that there's psychological safety so people feel they can speak truthfully. And if that means you need to make feedback mechanisms anonymous initially, then so be it. But then follow up that feedback with a whole bunch of self-reflection. So show that you've listened to feedback. Talk about it out loud. Um, I'm actually a huge I've got a, a strong belief that if you are a leader of an organization, a chief executive of a large enough organization, you should almost be mandated to have some formal self-development in the form of therapy or coaching and the reason for that is that you're responsible for hundreds if not thousands of lives so the beliefs and the values and who you are affects all of those lives so you need to understand and manage those beliefs and values that's good business ethics and actually in the case of what actually happens with these these disasters is it's just good business because you Mm. you will destroy your business without meaning to um, that seems very I know that seems very, very bold, but that's just kind of my my personal reflection. Um, and then speak that self-reflection out loud and role model it. Role model this continually learning, continually conscious leadership style so that people can see that you are reflecting that you are infallible, that you're not infallible 
that you um, are reflecting on the things that you need to learn, learn and develop on, that you're seeking feedback and responding to it. So that then becomes a cultural cornerstone of your organisation and yeah. other leaders people can see. And I'd probably add to that the need to continue to have diversity in your senior leadership team as well. Conti- oh. You know, this I, I'm so struck by and I know I refer to it a lot, but I love Matthew Side's Rebel Ideas so much because it's just. Yes, I'm going to buy you a new book. I've got, new. I've got them all here. I've got thousands of it. He's just my favourite. He's booked du jour. He's booked to Anne right now. He's booked um, to and this, that, this whole idea that, I mean, and I've seen it. I mean, not only have I read it in his book, I've seen it in the post office. I've seen it in so many different um, organisations where you just haven't got diversity in 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 ideas. You have got diversity. It just it just literally leads to situations like this. So just keep reaching out, you know, even if you're getting your diversity from people who are, um, you know, we talk we talk a lot about Gen Z, don't we? we talk about a lot about linking Gen Z to Gen Z to the board, you know, really yes. seek to look outside of your inner circle of people who look like you and think like you. Um, yes, and it is not just people who look like you; it's people who don't think like you. So unless if, if that's exactly what I said yeah exactly no, it's not just, yeah. so it's not just not looking like you it's not just making sure that you're kind of you know making sure that you've you've got a, a diverse set of um of kind of, of people there but they if they if you all think the same you still have a problem exactly. so and the, a good litmus test for that is have has somebody made you uncomfortable challenged you you know made you feel awkward or uncomfortable about something because and if not there's a problem quite quite so you might be the problem it might be you thank you taylor (laughs) and like we said we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna explore this through a couple of different lenses aren't we and i think by um our third podcast we're actually going to get someone um to come and talk to us who was um working for the post office at the time which i think will add a really interesting perspective to it um, thank you. Great chat. Great show. Um, and uh, I meant the Mr. Bates versus the post office. I'm not congratulating the podcast. Oh, my God, this podcast, man. It Good was job. so freaking excellent. <laughs> the podcast was fine. But Mr. Bates versus the post office, if you've not seen it yet. Exemplary. Really, please watch really it. It's yeah. an exemplary television creation as well as a story that really really needs to be told and examined by leaders everywhere so we're going to keep doing it all throughout all throughout January and um that's it that's us Lottie as ever a pleasure I didn't even get to sing Taylor Swift this time maybe next week oh no also I thought you might sing Abba's happy new year happy new year do you know that one I don't but you just sang so there we go yeah but I sang terribly let me never sing again new year's resolution never <laughs> let Lottie sing on a podcast again I maintain that everyone can sing everyone should be allowed to have a voice as you know central tenet of employee engagement right shall we go let's do it <laughs> see you later bye